The word of God from Matthew 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered around him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not much have soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. This is God's word given for our good. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. I believe according to this parable, we stand and you sit and preach to us. Is that correct? <laughs> I think I'll stand this time. Okay. <laughs> If you would, remain standing just for another moment as I pray for our time in the Word together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your Word. Lord, may we be those who have ears to hear. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this through the matchless name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Good morning, if I've not met you yet. My name is Jason Walsh. I'm the associate pastor here at Denver Presbyterian Church, and it is my privilege to bring the preaching of the word to you this morning. And um, it is a joyful thing to be able to come and share with you things that I've been learning. This is one of those sermons that has prepared me as much as I have tried to prepare it. It's been one of those that worked on me because I, I saw myself in both the joy of hearing the good news of the message of the kingdom and also heard myself in various other ways that we'll get into um, as Jesus warns us about what the other types of receptivity to that message might be. And so this morning, I'm going to start off with telling a really great story about how right I thought I was one time. I've, I've learned a new phrase for that. It's called confidently incorrect. <laughs> we were hiking. Um, my wife and I were hiking. We had just gotten to this beautiful view. We were able to see so many of the peaks of the mountains around us. We were, you know, in the front range and looking at the different peaks. And, you know, I was wondering which mountains we were looking at. And then I confidently said, I think those are the peaks of Breckenridge over there. And my lovely, patient wife just let my comment hang there for a moment before laughing out loud. <laughs> we were nowhere near Breckenridge. I later checked my compass, and we were pointed in the opposite direction I would needed to have looked if I could have seen Breckenridge. So... Not only was I not seeing what I thought I was seeing, I wasn't even looking in the right direction. She was laughing, not 
because I had gotten something wrong, which can happen daily and is plenty funny, um, but it was that I was so resolute and confident in how I said it. I was absolutely confident and incorrect at the same time. It has now become a recurring joke for us. If we're just together and she points out a mountain peak and I'll just start throwing in other famous peaks that are nowhere near. Oh, yeah, and that's Mount Hood and Denali and, oh, there's Everest. Because I just, I, I just remember how absolutely sure I was. I know that's Breck. And I was wrong. If only I had been paying close attention to where I was. If only I had really taken in my surroundings, really taken in our location in the world, what direction I was actually heading. But there I was. It was like I was standing in front of the attention span card reader at that tablet, and I ran it through, and I see this tiny blinking screen report back, insufficient funds. I needed to check and see if I was really paying attention. And that's, I think, what this story is about. This story that Jesus is telling his disciples and through his disciples is sharing with us is really a question. Are we paying attention? Are we really taking in what he's telling us about his kingdom? First, a note about these stories. This is a series of sermons that Ronnie began for us just a couple of weeks ago. Ronnie is our lead pastor here at Denver Prez, and he's out of town currently, but he is, um, he's been leading us through the first couple of parables of what Jesus taught. And these are stories that Jesus taught that are very small. They're very short. You know, it, it doesn't take a long time to read them. It's not a Lord of the Rings proposition, Right? You're not having to read a ton of material to get the story. It's a short, small story, but it's about a big, big concept. And these parables that we've been going through are teaching us through Jesus' words about his kingdom. And we get to benefit from that. Now, this particular story is in all three accounts in the Synoptic Gospels. The Synoptic Gospels is just a technical term for the first three Gospels you come to in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They share a lot in common because they are reporting the events of the Gospels. And John's Gospel, which comes after that, is more of a theological reflection on the events of Jesus' ministry, his death and resurrection. So, when we come to this parable, it shows up in all three. It's that, you know, a, another technical term is it's well attested. This is a story that remains consistent throughout. And throughout each report of the, this parable, it's immediately followed in each of those gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, by the disciples coming to him and saying, um, Jesus? What are you talking about? So if you're not immediately catching on to what this parable is about, you are not alone. I am not alone. The disciples themselves needed to have it explained. And Jesus, in giving some sense of like what this parable is about, but also why does he use parables, 
he ends up either quoting directly or alluding to, making reference to, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is addressing God's people, the people of Israel, who have a mixed record of following his ways, a very mixed record at best. And Isaiah is reporting the word of the Lord, the word of Yahweh to them, and he says, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their hearts and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So in its context, this thing that Jesus is referring to is really part of why he used parables. It was to get a better understanding for those who were in God's kingdom of those who were not in God's kingdom. It was giving this understanding of these stories are there for those who can really take them in. He's confronting the hardness of their heart toward God, even as God's people. And so Jesus is pointing to these parables as being a way to speak to those who are truly part of God's people and to speak to them in a way that they will understand, even if not everyone understands. And I think that's going to be an important thing for us to keep in mind because Jesus ends the report of this parable, the delivery of this parable, by saying those last words that we heard Steve read just a few moments ago in verse 9. He who has ears, let him hear. And I think that is where I'm getting my functional understanding of what Jesus wants us to hear in this parable this morning. He wants to let us know that he's telling us what we need to understand his kingdom, and he's checking, are we listening? Are we paying attention? So, let's dive into it. I think we're going to see some significant things as we examine the soils and the seed. But first, just a word about the sower. When Jesus is talking about the sower, he's talking about that person who is going around and likes sowing seed. And just like me, like sowing is not a word that I would use in ordinary language. In fact, just hearing the word, I'm thinking needle and thread, you know, sowing. But sowing is basically planting seed, throwing out seed, hoping that it will take root and bear fruit eventually. And so he's throwing the seed out. And the person throwing the seed out in this story is the person who's delivering the message about the kingdom. In fact, later on in the chapter, and I'll be referring to it regularly as we go through this, Jesus explains exactly what he means by this parable. And when he's talking about the sower, he's talking about the person who goes out with the word of the kingdom. The word of the kingdom. This is the message about God's kingdom, how he's setting everything right through the redemption of sins, but also through his new people that he is forming, a new people called to himself to be his representatives in the world. 
So he's saying this in the same kind of message delivery as you know, when he tells his followers and his disciples that they're going to be salt of the earth and light of the world, even though he's the one who says, I'm the one keeping the world together and giving it flavor, and I'm the light of the world, he's saying, this people who comes to me are going to be my ambassadors in the world. And so when he's talking about the sower, initially he's talking about himself giving this word of the kingdom, but it's anyone who goes and spreads this word of the kingdom as we share this beautiful message of what God is doing in the world, what he's done on our behalf, not merely eradicating our record of sin, as wonderful as that is, but that he's going to renew all things. He's going to make all things new. And that he invites us into that work if we can hear his call, his message, and really let it in and make a change thoroughly throughout us. So, <clears throat> let's take a look at these four soils. These four soils represent the different responses that people may have to this news of the kingdom, this message of the kingdom. This message, this seed, is this small package of truth that completely transforms the whole. And let's remember that when Jesus uses parables, there's a parable he uses that we've referenced before in this series of a seed, something very small that has a tremendous impact. It's a small delivery of the truth of God's kingdom that transforms the whole. And Jesus' kingdom is going to be different, different from maybe the kingdoms of the world that we have experienced. It's not going to be a top-down, hierarchically controlled kingdom with some royal person at the top who calls all of the shots and demands allegiance from all. It's actually a kingdom that, from our perspective, is going to feel completely backward because Jesus, again, says in his kingdom, the greatest among us is the servant of all, the one who does the dirty work for all of us. That feels pretty different. It feels like the opposite of what we experience in earthly kingdoms. And so Jesus is giving us this new, different kind of kingdom. It's not a populist movement. It's not a bandwagon for us to jump onto. It's not a new thought technology or a meme or a trending video. This seed of truth grows deep inside us and bears a lot of fruit. So that first soil he mentions in verse 4. And as he sowed, some seeds fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Now think about what a path is like. Now if you enjoy hiking, as I enjoy hiking, you know that there are some paths that are so beaten down because they are so popular that even though you know that it's just dirt, it is as hard as concrete. And so, as Jesus is giving this parable, he says, it's like seed fell on that kind of hardened ground. It just kind of bounces off. And so, of course, there's an opportunistic bird nearby, and it just comes and eats it. The seed can't penetrate that hardened surface, and it lays on top. This is a warning against listening to the message of the kingdom 
with a hard heart. And Jesus spells that out in verse 19. If you, if you're, if you have your copy of the Scriptures with you, and we do have copies of the Bibles uh, um, in the back if you would like one to look at in reference, or you can just pull it up online. But in verse 19, he says this, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. The message of the kingdom never got through to them. This could be the person who sincerely believes that they are too clever for faith, or the person who's entrenched in a way of seeing the world that does not allow for a loving God who sacrificially rescues us from sin. But whether it's their intellect, their worldview, or their tenacious sense of self-reliance, I'm going to do for myself, I'm the only one I can trust. Whatever that, that reason is, these are the kinds of people that the message of Christianity simply seems to bounce off of. And of course, now I have to put in my gratuitous Star Wars quote, so here it is. Negative, negative, didn't go in, it just impacted on the surface. Thank you, thank you for the laughter. I feel seen. A hard heart is insulated in their own kingdom. The hard heart is insulated in their own kingdom. The person who is like the first soil is insulated from the message. Following Jesus is just one option among many philosophies of life or a theoretical framework that has its followers. Jesus here is telling us about how his kingdom functions in the world. So should we be surprised when we interact with people in the world, but even people in churches who seem to be functionally secular without reference to faith or the metaphysical at all, maybe even atheistic in their outlook? Of course we shouldn't be surprised. Because Jesus is telling us right here in this parable that these kind of people are there. This is a response that some people have to the kingdom. It's almost a response of, that's fine for you, but it's not for me. So that's one response we see in the first soil. In the second soil, we hear Jesus say this in verses 5 and 6. He says, other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. The heat scorched the seed in this soil. This soil is shallow. Living here in Colorado... We have a lot of soil. You get into the mountains, it starts to thin out. And it thins out so much that sometimes all you have to do is maybe brush your foot back and forth to find rock right there. That's actually what I was very familiar with growing up in central Texas, where there is a very, very light dusting of topsoil over a lot of limestone. It's shallow. It's hard to get things to take root because there's nothing to take root in because of the rock. 
It's too shallow to support the growth of that seed of the kingdom, that message of the kingdom. And Jesus goes on to explain it in verses 20 and 21. He says, as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. The person who's represented by this soil maybe is just a little shallow because Jesus is warning us about listening with a shallow heart when he says this. There is a response to the seed, like receives it with joy. And it doesn't bounce off like the first soil, but it's too shallow. The heat of suffering leads to the seed falling away. This could be the people who hear the gospel and are seemingly all in until life interrupts. Their enthusiasm is replaced with a disdain for the things of God. Like this message of the kingdom was some kitchen appliance that failed to transform their lives so they barely touch it. They just leave it in the cart in the return aisle at a Target. They just don't want to think about it anymore. The message of the kingdom went in, but not to the center of the person. It had no root in them, as Jesus said. It was not rooted in the very center of who they are. And so it's discarded, like a fashion trend whose time has passed, or like the hobby that they were all in with until the next hobby came along. Sometimes this is what we encounter with those who might describe themselves as being in a season of deconstruction of their faith, but instead of it being what many mean by that, a heartfelt wrestling with their faith and maybe some of the extra things that got wound up into it, because that is an experience that people have. That's an experience I had. I had to unwind from the way I was taught early in my walk in order to understand that the scriptures actually were much broader and deeper than I imagined. But these people would say they're doing that. They would say they're doing deconstruction, but what they're actually doing is an ejection. They're saying, I don't want any of that anymore, and I don't care what it is. Faith in Jesus doesn't work for them because trying to get Christ into their lives just isn't working for them. And what you realize is that they're not really opening themselves up to the work of Jesus in their life. What they're doing is they're trying to get Jesus to join them in the kingdom that they want, which isn't actually the kingdom of God. They're wanting to get Jesus into their schema, their imagined reality of how things ought to be. They want Jesus with them in having that perfect ultimate job. They want Jesus in there with them with the relationships functioning the way they want, primarily benefiting them. 
They want Jesus to join them in a kingdom they have imagined. They're treating Jesus as a benefactor, not as king of their life. It's like treating Jesus like a service provider. The shallow heart wants the kingdom without the king. The shallow heart wants the kingdom without the king. Tim Keller described it this way. He said, the things they really worship were lost in the heat. The little g gods that they were serving were lost in the heat. Jesus is not a streaming service that you cancel your subscription to when there's nothing good listed. He's warning us. He's warning us that there is a response to the gospel that is possible for any kind of people that worships the perceived benefits of Jesus but doesn't really transfer faith to Jesus. And that brings us to the third soil. In verse 7, Jesus says, Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And then he goes on to explain in verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. What Jesus is starting to call out here is that it's not enough simply to receive from Jesus, to, to really measure, to really get an understanding of how the kingdom is operating in someone's heart, in my heart, am I bearing fruit? When I said that this sermon prepared me as much as I prepared it, this is what I'm talking about. I used to fall in with interpretations of this parable that would say, you know, there's only one true believer and it's the last one that fell among good soil. I'm not so sure. This one seems to say that someone can earnestly believe the message of the kingdom, can honestly want and desire and put faith in Jesus, but that it gets crowded in their heart because they have other things that are calling for their attention that are calling as loudly and as persuasively as Jesus. And I have to be truthful. That's something that I struggle with still. I find myself wanting to please God and then really wanting to get my way, wanting to do what Jesus has taught me to do and wanting to be the one with the most toys. This is, this is a hard thing. But Jesus is telling us this is part of how people respond to the kingdom. And so he is warning us, me, about listening to the message of the kingdom with a divided heart. And I think this is one of the areas where maybe most of us struggle we sincerely trust Jesus, and we sincerely give so much time and energy to our career or our family, maybe our family of origin or the family that we've found or the family we've made. 
But we get so wrapped up in that that we're just kind of caught between our priorities. And it makes it hard for us to really, truly be changed from deep within by that seed of the kingdom. The thorns grow up and prevent this seed from bearing fruit. The soil's life is controlled by Jesus and the cares of this world. And this divided heart is struggling with these competing kingdoms. There is a hearing of the word, but we have this double-minded approach, and that's something that James warns us against. To be double-minded is to be unstable in all our ways. There are these small K kingdoms distracting us from the all caps God's kingdom. Maybe I don't know a lot about Greek mythology, but I, what little I do know, um, you know, is probably something that people could correct me on, and I'm, I'm glad to receive correction. But I, I remember particularly the vivid imagery of the sirens. The sirens were these sea nymphs who would sing, and they would lure sailors to their deaths by singing a song. The song made them abandon their senses, their, their rationality, and in pursuing the siren's song, they would wreck their ships on the rocks surrounding the siren's island. And there are some who interacted with them and were safe. You know, I, I share a name with this dude who hang, hung out with the Argonauts, and they avoided the sirens because they had a poet with them, Orpheus. And Orpheus was like, we're just going to sing louder. And so they sang this really loud song, and it drowned out the song of the sirens. And Odysseus had a different strategy. When he was on his odyssey, he had the sailors tie him to the mast of the ship so that he could not move and could not persuade them when he was hearing the sirens. And so what, what he did was basically, like, he, get, he gave them all earplugs, and he said, until I stop fighting, at all, fighting you guys and trying to convince you to go where the sirens are calling us, just keep rowing. And they made it through. I mean, that's vivid imagery. There's always sirens singing us to shipwreck. So what are our thorns? What are our sirens? It could be those concerns about our careers. It could be generational wealth for our family or getting the right education or getting the right education for our kids or for our friends' kids or our political affiliations, our desire to be accepted by our peers, our desire to be approved by a parent, a mentor, or a leader that we admire. There's always sirens singing us to shipwreck. It's even something we sang about earlier, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. We wrestle with the competing demands, the competing calls to our life, and yet Jesus is saying what we need is we need to listen without a divided heart. 
And that brings us to the fourth soil. Fourth soil is very simply verse 8. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. He explains in verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. You know what's really insightful to me is, you know, you read all the versions together, as I've been doing this week, and in Luke, it becomes even a little bit more clear. Luke chapter 8, verse 15. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So Jesus is calling us to be those who listen and receive the word, who actually pay attention that we understand how Luke was describing it when he says, when they hold it fast, it's almost this word that would give you the image of like grasping or gripping really hard. It's like, do we have that kind of firm grasp on what Jesus is saying is true about us and about the world? Because ultimately, the seed is what we need to be focused on. That's what we need to be hearing. That's what we need to be taking in and taking deep down into our hearts. We cannot live this double-minded way. We need to pray like the psalmist prays in Psalm 86, unite my heart to fear your name. Lord, make me into the kind of person who's not split all kinds of different ways, but I'm just wholly focused and devoting myself to you. Because ultimately what Jesus offers us in the kingdom is a freedom to be truly who we are, not a freedom to satisfy our appetites, which we know can run unchecked, not a kingdom of our own design, but a realization that we were made for his kingdom, and his message transforms us into the people who not only benefit from his kingdom, but we become servants in his kingdom, Reading the beautiful invitation to come and trust in the one who's going to save you and the one who's going to make you not into the miserable, sin-broken person who's just going to be miserable forever, but into the kind of person who can weather suffering, can weather rejection, can weather, can withstand all of the things that life would throw at us and not just survive, but thrive And to be able to look at our lives and say, look at how God has used even someone like me. That's what he offers. That's the seed. That's the seed. It's this good news of the gospel that God has always, from the very moment sin entered the picture, he has always been working for our good until ultimately he brings us to a place where we no longer can sin. We no longer can imagine a kingdom better than his because the wool has been pulled from our eyes and we actually see that 
Loving God and loving one another is exactly what we were made for from the beginning. It's only available and possible through Jesus. So what is our response? Well, let me tell you, it's not our job to figure out which soil other people are. That's not the takeaway. You know, he strikes me as the first soil, and she's kind of the second soil, and, you know, I, I have my days when I'm the third soil. Stop it. <laughs> That's not the point of this parable. It's not the point of this sermon. That is unhelpful. Jesus is teaching us about his kingdom, and it is abundantly clear that not everyone gets it, and not everyone gets it in the same way. It's not our job to discern which soil represents true believers and which soil represents reprobates. Our takeaway from this is simple. How am I hearing the word of the kingdom? Mark and Luke render this parable in ways that lead to a collective reflection, but this one in Matthew, Matthew is aiming it at individuals. He wants us each individually to think, how am I listening? How am I taking it in? How am I doing with this? It is simple. Our response is to receive the word of the kingdom. It's not ours to break up the soil. It's not ours to get deeper roots. It's not our work to pull the thorns. It's our work to receive the word of the kingdom. Jesus is asking us, asking me today, this morning, have you been paying attention? I invite myself and I invite all of us to really hear Jesus as he calls us into a deepening life of trust, to really contemplate his call on our lives more than our Sunday schedule, more than our crisis moments, more than our disappointments. Give him all of your work life. Give him all of your relationships, all of your friendships, all of your thoughts around marriage and family, rather than simply existing on autopilot. Give him your whole self, and he will call you the unique, unrepeatable self that you are and he will make your life bear kingdom fruit that will amaze you. Amen? Amen.